0: Namaskar, lovelies. I'm Valeria, and this is Have Murder, Will Travel. Hello, hello, everyone. Hope no one's been hypnotized to come a murder since last week. If you don't get that reference, go listen to last week's episode. Last week we were in Denmark, and this week we are off to Nepal. That's why I said hello in Nepali, Nepal actually has a lot of languages, upwards of 100, but Nepali is the official language for government business, so that's what I went with. Before we get into the case, I just want to tell you guys a story from my life. This has nothing to do with the case, so if you don't want to hear it, skip ahead a few minutes, totally understand. If you're still here, buckle up. Recently, I have come to the conclusion that I am the subject of a nefarious plot to hurt or potentially kill me. I'm being serious. Where I live, I have a large covered concrete and brick front porch, and then I have a large covered wooden back porch. It's pretty common to see squirrels on the porches cracking nuts or see remnants of nuts squirrels have left. It's quaint, it's cute, I'm fucking Snow White except I don't live with seven little men. I've recently noticed more squirrel activity on my back porch, and also on my fence. The squirrels used to run away when I appeared, but lately, they've just kind of been hanging out on the fence, watching me, judging me, making me uncomfortable. I took the trash out a few weeks ago, and there were three different squirrels on my fence, just staring, judging. I didn't look my best. It was the middle of the night. I was in my pajamas. Stop judging me. But the weirdest thing happened last night. And that's why I'm telling you guys now. I was walking to my car yesterday when I heard a noise. It was like a screeching, but like throaty. It definitely was not human. I'd never heard it before. So I I stopped and I kind of looked around and that's when I saw it. There was a squirrel up on the electrical line screaming. I didn't even know squirrels could scream. Go Google it. It's freaky. This squirrel was up on this electrical line, screaming, and I swear to you, it looked at me, like locked eyes with me, like, yeah, bitch, I'm screaming for you. That's when I noticed there were five other squirrels in the vicinity, and they were all looking at the screaming squirrel. I think the one on the wire was like the squirrel cult leader, and he was calling them to him somehow. I felt like I was in a sequel to Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. And the sequel is called The Squirrels. Seriously, the scene in that movie when she walks out and there's just birds everywhere and they don't go anywhere, that's how I felt because these squirrels were not going anywhere. And I was really uncomfortable. I don't know if squirrels have rabies or do they attack. I feel like these squirrels are about to. I'm not ashamed to tell you guys that I ran to my car, jumped in, and immediately locked the doors. And ever since then, I've come and gone from my house a few times. There's always two or three squirrels. I'm seeing them everywhere. I just wanted to let you guys know that if the podcast suddenly stops, something happens to me, it was the squirrels. That probably makes me seem crazy. Pretty sure I'm not crazy. I think the squirrels are trying to kill me. Maybe they were having an instant meeting, seemed culty and murdery. Anyway, that is the tale of how I may or may not be the subject of a squirrel hit. By the squirrel mafia? Back to our regularly scheduled programming. Off we go to Nepal. Nepal is, of course, a landlocked nation in East Asia between India and China. Before researching this case, I knew two things about Nepal and I will now share them with you. One, Mount Everest. Two, Nepal is the only country with a non rectangular flag. Thank me when you win trivia night. This week's case is a double murder and it has been solved but it took over a decade to be solved and even though it's been solved there's still a few uh, unanswered questions we'll get to it our story takes place in Kathmandu and our poor victims were literally in the wrong place at the wrong time fair warning too there is some child violence in this case the child is not dead but I still want to warn you Kid stuff is hard. I know some people don't like to hear it. Just letting you know there is some child things. Like always, I will do my best with the names. It wasn't easy to find pronunciation guides for these Nepalese names. I tried. I'm gonna try as I say them. Wish me luck. I'm doing the thing. I'm, I'm doing my best. Our story begins in 2002 at the home of Gita Khadka. Gita worked as a manpower agent... Which is just a fancy way of saying she was like a job recruiter. Mostly for overseas clients. I don't know why recruiters in America don't call themselves manpower agents. That sounds so much cooler than recruiter. Manpower agent. Sounds like a super villain. Everyone watch out because if I ever get superpowers, I will become a super villain, not a superhero. Fair warning. Our manpower agent, Gita, owned a big fancy house. I'll post a pic of it. It's lovely. Gita rented parts of the house out. Her tenants in 2002 were an engineer named Hamanta Shrestha and his wife Anjali, and they had a four-year-old daughter. I did find the daughter's name, but I'm not going to say it because she's alive and I don't see any reason to drag her name into this. I always feel weird saying kids' names, so I'm choosing not to, but if you're really fucking curious, you can find it. It's not hard. In late June and early July of 2002, two teenage boys knocked on the door of the house a few times. Anjali answered the door each time. The boys said they were local students looking for rooms to rent. Anjali told them each time that she wasn't the owner and the owner wasn't there or the owner was busy, couldn't talk to them at the moment. Whatever. Sometimes Skeeta wasn't there. Sometimes Skeeta was busy. Anjali was just like, yeah, I'll pass along the message. After a few times, see, I'm rude. I would have been like, fucking take a hint and go away. I wouldn't do that. I never would have answered the door in the first place. I have a big window on my front door, and once someone was knocking, and I literally walked by the door, locked eyes with the guy, and continued walking up the stairs. You can't have awkward encounters if you have no encounters at all. Stick around for more life tips. I am by no means saying that Anjali did anything wrong. Lots of people answer their doors. You should absolutely be able to answer your door and not be worried about murder. On July 15th, 2002, the boys knocked again a little before 6 a.m. How fucking rude to knock on someone's door unexpectedly before 9 or 10 a.m. Just fucking rude. Morning people have too much power. Why did we give them all the power? Anjali, once again, opened the door. She was a nice lady, so I'm sure she was nice when she opened the door. I would have been channeling my inner Aaron Brockovich, asking what they were doing, making all that goddamn noise. Side note, that scene in Aaron Brockovich, where she first meets George, is one of my favorite scenes ever in a movie. These boys knock on the door at the ass crack of dawn, and once again ask to see the landlord. Anjali tells them that Gita's sleeping, because... Hello, it's 6 a.m. In case you can't tell, I'm not a morning person. Mornings suck. Spoiler alert, these boys were not looking for room to rent. They were not students. They were looking for Gita for other reasons. When Anjali told them Gita was sleeping, the boys each pulled out a kukuri. Google kukuri. It's a big-ass curved knife, almost a sword. Terrifying. Imagine two boys just whipping those out at you on your front stoop. Being stabbed is a big fear of mine, more than being shot, I think. The boys pull out these giant knives, and they stabbed Anjali repeatedly in the abdomen. They then drug her unconscious body inside and left her in the kitchen, not caring at all about the huge trail of blood they left behind. The boys then charged into the bedroom where Anjali's husband and daughter were sleeping. This is so terrible. That little girl was just sleeping in her parents' bed. Ugh, I hate these fucking assholes. The boys stab Himanta and they stab the little baby. They cut her from cheek to her throat. Then one of them, I guess, grew some kind of conscience and they locked the little girl in the bathroom. I say kind of grew a conscience because, yes, you didn't kill her, but you stabbed her. And then you locked a bleeding four-year-old in a bathroom. Would she bled out? The fuck is wrong with you? I teach four-year-olds, and I cannot imagine doing something to hurt one of them, even when they're being little assholes and I don't like them. Also, these boys murdered people, so where's their conscience? Meanwhile, Gita was upstairs asleep, and she heard all this commotion downstairs, this racket, and she hid in the bathroom. The boys come charging up the stairs looking for her, covered in blood, dripping blood from their weapons. They figure out she's hiding in the bathroom and they try to knock down the bathroom door. Luckily, they were weak and were not able to knock it down. They were in this house for a half an hour trying to get to Gita. A half hour. I can't even imagine. When I first started reading about this case, I was a little annoyed with Gita at this point. I was like, wow, bitch, you just went and hid in a bathroom. Then I started thinking about it, though, and I was like, I mean, what else did she, what other option did she have? If I heard somebody killing people downstairs, I'd crawl out my bathroom window up here. What was she supposed to do other than I'd go confront these two boys wielding big-ass knives that are basically swords and, what, fight them off with her bare hands? After a half hour trying to knock down the door. The murderous bozos were like, hmm, someone may have heard us and told the cops. Maybe we should get out of here. Maybe we should leave. It's nice that these boys each only had half a brain still. Makes it easier to catch them, you'd think. They run out of the house, absolutely covered in blood, dripping blood from these knives because they've murdered two people. And they just casually toss their bloody knives in a nearby bush. Oh, hum, don't need this anymore. That bush did not ask to be an accomplice to your murder, sir. What are you doing? Also, that's what you're going to do with your evidence? Like, okay. I've never murdered, and I don't intend to. But I feel like you have to have a plan for the evidence for after. And you also need to have a way to escape, get away. I don't care where you are, you Can't just walk out of a house covered in blood. These idiots, of course, had no escape plan and are now just running down the street in broad fucking daylight covered in blood. A neighbor was outside washing clothes when she saw them running in her direction. From a distance, she thought they were just wearing red shirts that had undergone a real shitty dye job, you know, splattery. But as they got a little closer to her house, She realized they were covered in blood, so she scurried the fuck inside. I don't know if I'd have the presence of mind to go inside. I've never done the washing outside, but I've hung clothes up to dry outside. And I think if I saw a couple of blood-soaked guys running toward me, I might just freeze. I think that's my go-to reaction, just freeze. Luckily, this neighbor is not me, and she made it inside. Who knows if these boys would have hurt her, what they would have done. We have no idea. She's watching them from inside her house, though, and the boys washed their hands at her outside faucet. One of them even removed his bloody shirt and just chucked it nearby. Just no fucks given about evidence they're leaving behind. That tells me they are either really fucking dumb or they think they're untouchable. Once they had washed up to their satisfaction, they simply walked away. The two boys walked into a pharmacy nearby to buy bandages for their cuts because, oh no, they had hurt themselves while murdering people. After they left the pharmacy, the boys just disappeared like a puff of smoke. Poof. Gone. The police arrived at the house not too long after this. They found Anjali in the kitchen where the boys had dragged her, and they found her husband in a pool of his own blood in the bedroom. They were both rushed to the nearby hospital, but were quickly declared dead. The police found the poor little four-year-old in the bathroom. All I'm picturing is the flashback scenes in Dexter where he's a baby and he's sitting there in his mom's blood. Oh, Those scenes are awful. That poor little girl. She had to be terrified when the police opened that door too. It could have been the attackers. Oh, I can't even imagine. I already told you that the daughter survived. She did survive, but she had to get 40 stitches to her face. 40. I've only had stitches three times in my life, and the most I ever got was seven or eight, I think. 40. Holy shit. And so young. I got a few stitches on my lip when I was like three, and I remember all of it. So I cannot imagine what this little girl remembers. Between the stabbing, the hiding in the bathroom, the stitches. Oh, she needs extensive therapy. I hope she got it. I hope she's still getting it. I wish her nothing but the best. Her survival is one of the few happy moments we have in this story because the cops now get nowhere. This investigation, just nothing. I want to say the cops tried, but I'm not sure if they really did. Over the years, there were at least 18 different committees formed by the police to investigate these murders, yet they still got nowhere. I want to say the cops are trying because, again, 18 different investigations. That's great. You're not giving up. But at the same time, I'm wondering what the hell they did with all the evidence. They had the bloody weapons with fingerprints, bloody shirt, and at least one eyewitness. You can track down two teenagers who bought bandages at that time. I don't think too many shirtless, bloody people are coming into the pharmacy on a regular basis. You couldn't get a sketch artists for them couldn't track down and I just I don't understand how this went nowhere also I'm not saying she knew anything but but maybe ask Gita some questions you know those boys were clearly looking for her typically if two people are trying to kill you you know why random murders are pretty rare so I feel like Gita had some info Despite the lack of progress, people did not forget about this case. The Nepalese people were like, you need to fucking figure this shit out. Every time a new police chief gotten sworn in, they claimed the case was at the top of their agenda. Every time they would start a new committee, a new investigation, and every time, nothing. Great. That's that's helpful, police. Twelve years went by with no progress. 12 fucking years of just, I don't even know, not testing evidence, not interviewing people. I'm, I'm so confused. You literally have all the evidence. 12 years? What, what are you doing? Playing tiddlywinks in the back? 2014, the police finally had a breakthrough. I want to applaud them, but we really can't because they didn't get this breakthrough by doing their fucking jobs. They got it by complete accident. Glad they got it, but I would love it more if they earned it. In 2014, a police informant came to the cops and told them that two men, Manraj Gurung and Pramesh Chohan, were bragging to friends in a restaurant about killing the couple all those years ago. I will never understand why these dumbasses brag about shit like this. First of all, you got away with it. Let it go. Are you you trying to fucking get caught? like arsonists that go watch the building burn something is busted in your brain second who do these dumb fucks think they're talking to they all just think that they can brag about literal crimes they have committed and no one will tell if i'm ever at a social gathering i'm already uncomfortable as shit because people and then you start talking about murder or other felonious things you've done i am somehow going to be more uncomfortable and also i'm going to tell on you this is not a snitches get stitches situation. If it were, the dumbass murderers would be getting the stitches because they're the ones that don't know how to keep their fucking mouth shut running their traps at restaurants. The fuck? In 2014, Manraj was 30 and Pramesh was 28. This means they were only 18 and 16 at the time of the murders. Literal children massacring a family. I say children, but they were still... Old enough to know the difference between right and wrong. Not making excuses for them. You're not a baby. You knew what you were fucking doing. When the informant told the police of these guys bragging, the cops were like, Oh, cool, thanks. These two were actually persons of interest for us already. To that I say, what the fuck? If you had persons of interest, why haven't you been able to match anyone's prints to the fucking murder weapons? blood evidently like you'd persons of interest and you were what just watching them i i don't understand this investigation the cops then began looking into these two more closely and they discovered something disturbing that they honestly should have already known if they were actual persons of interest who they were keeping an eye on on may 31st 2003 only 10 months after the murders of the shresthas Manrash and Pramesh had murdered another woman Leela Maya Giri Leela like Gita, had been a manpower agent the boys had repeatedly showed up at Leela's house inquiring about rooms to rent and Leela was stabbed to death with a weapon similar to what killed the Shresthas the two were caught for this murder pretty quickly due to physical evidence and like in the Shresthas murders there were witnesses how were these cases not connected 10 months later same job being the target, same basic MO, murder weapon. What were the cops doing? Ten months. Also, should manpower agents in Nepal be worried? Are they now targets of hits? What what is happening? Yet here we are 12 years later, and the cops are like, hmm, you know, maybe the two murders that are almost identical are are connected. Wow. With Leela's murder, it was discovered that the boys had actually been paid by Leela's husband to murder her. He had paid them 600,000 rupees to kill his wife. Why are you hiring teenage assassins? Definitely seems like a job for adults. Also, just get a divorce, man. I looked it up. They're legal in Nepal. Don't kill your spouse. Leave them. Pramesh was sentenced to life for this murder, but for some reason was released after only serving eight years. That's literally the opposite of a life sentence. Cool. Which is why he was able to brag about another murder at a restaurant. Man Raj didn't even go to jail for Leela's murder. He was out on bail. I did look into this as I was hella confused how you could be on jail after a trial. I did find that you could be out on jail during appeals, so maybe he was appealing the case. I couldn't quite figure it out. The point is, neither of them were properly punished for Leela's murder, they'd gotten away with at least two other murders, and here they are just bragging in a restaurant about it, because they're pieces of shit, and the cops have been kind of stupid and not figured this out. The cops did finally arrest Manraj and Pramesh, and they gave them both lie detectors related to the murders. They both failed the lie detector. I will play devil's advocate for a second here and point out that lie detectors are not admissible in most courts. They're unreliable as shit. You'd be sweaty. You could be nervous. It's easy to trick one. But police still like to use them. They have a little bit of validity, I guess. Take it with a grain of salt. They failed the lie detectors. I think in this case, these dudes were lying because they're liars who murder people for money and then brag about it 12 years later. Like assholes. March 15th, 2015, Manraj Gurung and Pramesh Chauhan were officially charged with the murders of Hermant and Anjali Shrestha. I didn't see anything that said this, but I hope they were also charged with attempted murder of the daughter. Because you slit her throat almost. You, you were trying to kill her too. Luckily, there was no bail offered. These two were held during the trial. It came out during the trial... That someone had paid these boys 200,000 rupees to kill the owner of the house, Gita. A third of what they were paid to kill Leela. Guess they raised their prices. Here's the really scary part of this case, though. The part that still kind of gives me the shivers. We still don't know who paid them to kill Gita. The cops have not been able to figure it out. And these guys have never said. I think it must be somebody pretty powerful and connected for them to not rat. That's scary. Is whoever paid for Gita's murder still out there paying for other murders? Like I said before, are manpower agents a target? What is going on? The shit people are able to get away with in this world is wild. and Not in a good way. In July 2015, 13 years after the murders, the two were found guilty and sentenced to life in prison for the murders of the Shrush that poor family was just living their lives and literally just happened to be in the wrong house when these animals showed up. Tragic. It took 12 years, but at least some justice was served. Their daughter deserves that. I'd be even happier if we knew who paid these two, but seems like we'll never find out for sure. One other shitty thing about this case is that in August of 2022, very recently, it was announced that Manraj Gurung, one of our murderers, was appointed watchman in the prison. And that's, well, he'll hold this position for a year, and while he's watchman, he gets special privileges. He gets a monthly allowance, unrestricted phone use, exemption from punishment, and oh yeah, he can leave the prison to buy things he needs or wants. That's great. He's killed at least three people under contract, and we're just letting him leave jail like a regular person. I'm sure that's not upsetting for the victims' families at all. The more I do this podcast, the more I've discovered that there are a lot of countries that have open jail policies, and I don't understand it at all. It's not summer camp. It's not daycare. Either you're in jail or you're not in jail. I, I don't understand this revolving door bullshit. Makes no sense to me. All we can do at this point is hope that while out on his watchman privileges, he doesn't commit any more crimes. I also hope we eventually learn who hired them to kill Geeta. What was the motive? Had she done something? I saw one report that mentioned they claimed she stole from somebody, but I only saw that in one report, so I don't know. And even if she did steal, you can't murder people. So many unanswered questions. I do hope that Anjali and Humata's daughter is doing well. Hope she's having a good life. She'd be in her early mid-twenties now, I guess. That's, that's really all we can hope for right now. And that hopeful note is where we are going to leave Nepal. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You can follow the podcast on Facebook at Have Murder Will Travel Podcast. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at Have Murder Will Travel. I always post pictures related to the case. You can send me an email at Have Murder Will travel at gmail.com. Tune in next week to see where we travel next. Until then, don't forget to explore the world and stay alive. Bye.